Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Live from Pawnee. I'm Alan, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Mark. Mark, how are you today? Alan, I am doing great, man. I'm so excited to be back here for the second half of the big episode. Well, Mark, it's a good thing everybody came back today because, as you know, we are... Number one in curse coverage. That's exactly right, Mark. And, you know, you hit on it. We turned this episode into a two-part episode because it was just so beefy. It really was. Yeah, it was as beefy as that guy who came in needing help for dehydration. Mr. Jersey Shore? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, Mark, you know, part one got us to a certain point, and we're going to have an excellent throwback recap, as I'd like to call it, for you here in a few minutes. Uh, But if you recall, in part one, we featured interview snippets with the fabulous Mo Collins. Yep. And today we've got the perdacious, see what I did there? (laughs) I like it. Jay Jackson and a few snippets with our interview with him. Oh, wow. So, Mark, I think that's a pretty good recap of everything we hope to accomplish today here in part two of our coverage of Harvest Festival. Oh, absolutely, man. I agree. I am really looking forward to wrapping this one up. So, Mark, you may recall also in part one that we introduced our new sponsor. And I thought that maybe for those who missed it, we should play that again. Oh, awesome, man. I think we should do that as well. All right, then. We'll be right back, everybody, after a word from our sponsor. Sweet. It's here just in time. That didn't take long. What? What is it, Alan? What do we get? Well, Mark, you know how we're recording Harvest Festival Rewatch this week, right? Yeah, sure. That's what Constantine told me. Well, I found this really cool custom small batch candle shop online called Real Life Candle Company, and they actually have a candle called Harvest Festival. Seriously? What does it smell like? Well, let me see. I would say fall, maybe hay, little cedar, some pumpkin. I like it. Well, uh, give me. Oh, wow. That is nice. Did they have any other parks and recreation scents? You know what? Actually, I talked to their awesome owner, Amanda, and she told me that they're actually about to launch another scent inspired by parks and recreation next week. Apparently, it's called Friends, Waffles and Work, and it smells like waffles, maple syrup and butter. Oh, my God. Now I'm hungry. And, you know, Leslie would be all over that. I know, right? I'm thinking the same thing. What else do they offer? Well, Mark, Amanda told me that they offer a ton of other pop culture inspired products, including some that fans of The Office will appreciate, like It's Your Birthday and The Finer Things Club. I love that. As well as for Brooklyn Nine-Nine fans, Boils Musk and Not Today Nibs sense. (laughs) Oh, that's great, Alan. Like Terry, we know the struggle is real. Oh, amen to that. Well, how can our listeners find out more and make a purchase? Well, Mark, you can find all of these candles, tins, sprays, and wax melts at Real Life Candle. That's real spelled R-E-E-L. Oh, I get it. Like the movie reel. Exactly. So reallifecandle.com. You can also find their link on our website and then the episode description for this episode. And if you enter the code LFP10 at checkout, our listeners can save 10% on their purchase. Oh, man, that's terrific. Well, now I know what I'm buying my wife for Christmas. Um, Mark, doesn't your wife listen to the show sometimes? No, not any, not anymore. She gets here's enough for me at home. <laughs> yeah, I can relate. We have that same arrangement at my house. All right. So that's it. We can go back to the podcast now. Well, sure. But let's take the candle. Oh, agreed. All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. You know, Mark, I think what we should do here is maybe a little bit of a when we last left our heroes segment to help everybody understand where we're at. Meanwhile. 
trial at the Hall of Justice, Leslie, Ron, Tom, April, and Andy join forces to save the Harvest Festival from the curse. <laughs> Sorry, that's my little personal nerdy homage uh, to the Super Friends. It's so good. Mark, I am really, I'm, I feel like I'm sitting in front of the TV on a Saturday morning and uh, you really took me back there. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, and you're welcome. Do you remember when literally you could only watch cartoons on Saturday mornings and there was like four channels? Oh, and yeah. That was it. Like, yeah. I know that sounds like Neanderthal times for most people, but, uh, well, we were there. We were Neanderthals in Neanderthal times. Yeah, I know. That was the thing. You'd, you'd go and you'd make your pancakes and, and then, you know, you'd watch a show and you'd go back and get more pancakes. Actually, that could explain a lot. But <laughs> but no, it's Saturday morning, like you said, that was the time, man. That, that was a very... Uh, a very influential age. Absolutely. Wow. I think a lot of that stuff is actually out there on Cartoon Network, if I'm not mistaken. You can definitely find it on YouTube. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. For you youngins. <laughs> for you youngins. <laughs> well, Alan, for us oldens. Um, so here's uh, here's the little when we last left our heroes that I'd like to do. Um, in part, one of our Harvest Festival coverage, uh, we had three storylines going on. So here's a recap of those storylines and kind of where we Perfect. left off. Yeah, please. So the A story, the Harvest Festival, or as you like to call it, the Harvest Bestival, which is what Leslie tries to do. <laughs> so the Harvest Festival is tomorrow and Leslie surprises everyone by booking legendary Pawnee celebrity Lil Sebastian, the miniature horse. And everybody is thrilled except Ben, who just doesn't get it. <laughs> and Wamapoke tribe leader Ken Hotate visits Leslie and requests the Harvest Festival be moved since it's on a Wamapoke burial site. Leslie is sympathetic, but explains it's too late. Ken warns them the festival may become cursed. Joan Calamezzo arrives to report on the festival, trying to find a negative angle as always, but failing until she overhears Leslie and Ben discussing the curse, which then becomes the focus of her story. And this is exacerbated when Leslie finds out, dun, 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 little Sebastian has escaped his pen. Oh, the Pawnee media is now swarming like vultures, Alan. With their attempts to find little Sebastian on the ground having failed, the gang flocks to the Ferris wheel so they can get a bird's eye view of the festival. However, now that everybody's trapped on the ride with each other, they're arguing and bickering and sniping at each other more than they are looking for little Sebastian. Meanwhile, Leslie is just trying to contain the chaos by giving a press conference. One reporter mentions to Ben how this is just like Ice Town and bad luck seems to follow him, which kind of rattles him. It really did. It, it, Leslie seems to be doing an okay job at addressing some of the false information flying around when all of a sudden all the lights go out and the machine shut down ferris wheel stops moving harvest festival in total darkness people muttering anxiously dogs and cats living together mass hysteria alan it's chaos it's got to be the curse what else could it be it's the curse it's definitely the curse it's got to be the curse rhubarb rhubarb what will happen? Can Leslie get things back on track? Will the gang ever find little Sebastian? Will the gang ever stop arguing? Is there actually a curse? Stay tuned and find out. Dot, dot, dot. Oh, very nice. All right. So the second story, which I entitled Awesome Sauce. Awesome Sauce. <laughs> April and Andy have been dating a while and things are going really well. And then they're playing a ring toss game. Randy is at the at the festival and April is gazing at him and is kind of inspired about how she feels about Andy. And she opens up and gets vulnerable and tells him that she loves him. Andy, <sighs> it, it, Andy, Andy. His response is, and I quote, dude, shut up. That is awesome sauce. And he tries to give her a high five. Oh, she should have smacked him with his own hand. April is mortified and humiliated and embarrassed and lots of other vocabulary words. <laughs> while Andy 
remains somewhat clueless. See, I don't think he meant this maliciously. I think he's actually just he's precisely that dumb. I, I think he's caught off guard. So he didn't have a well thought out response. And this is what he did instead. That's a great way to put yeah. it. I like that. Yeah. So April has continued, Alan, to snipe angrily at Andy throughout the entire rest of the day. And Andy's just continuing to be uh, kind of confused and doesn't really know what's going on. And April even goes so far as to threaten to leave for Venezuela. Wait <laughs> for it. Yanni. Forever. Oh, back into the arms of Venezuelan Yanni. Oh, that's that's the worst. That's the worst kind of Yanni <laughs> is a Venezuelan one. It's no good Yanni. Well, Alan, April is still mad at Andy. Andy still seems confused and the two show so far. No signs of making up. How will this turn out? Is April's love for Andy indeed awesome sauce? Will April actually leave for Venezuela? Can Andy get any dumber? <laughs> Only time will tell dot dot dot. Uh, thank God breathing is autonomic, Mark, because if it weren't. <laughs> I don't know. He'd have some troubles. He might have some trouble. Yeah, I think I think so. Um, so the C story, use him, abuse him, lose him. Anne has volunteered to work the Harvest Festival first aid tent along with Donna. While prepping the tent the day before the Harvest Festival opens, Donna asks Anne about Chris. And Anne admits she has not taken the breakup well, describing how she's kind of bottomed out. A little later, an attractive but dumb guy, uh, Jersey Shore, uh, comes to the first aid tent for you doing for dehydration. I don't know what's sick of me or your body. <laughs> Sorry, that cracked me up. Um, she's probably never heard that line before. Well, I don't know. Maybe she has. She's a nurse. Usually nurses are total grenades. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh. All right. So Anne treats big beefy dude, who I think his name is Kylie. So Anne treats Kylie and Kylie shamelessly hits on Anne, but Anne politely turns him down. Well, Donna suggests some advice from uh Grammy Meagle. Well, sure. Even the, you know, and words of wisdom. Absolutely. Anne doesn't need to think of him as boyfriend material. Just use him, abuse him, lose him. But Anne doesn't seem too sure. What will happen? Will Anne get over her breakup with Chris? Can Donna get Anne to take Grammy Meagle's advice? Does this attractive lunkhead provide Anne the opportunity she needs? Never fear. All will be revealed. Dot, dot, dot. Mark, excellent job. I mean, I, I know that you can see right there just listening to those kind of recap slash part two synopses. Right. Uh, there's just a lot going on in this episode. Yeah, there is. Yeah. I, I, I have zero guilt over breaking this into two, a two parter. I completely agree. That was the right call. Yeah, we needed a nap between part one and part two, and this let us do that. So really appreciate that. Yep, agreed. Yep. All right, then. Well, Mark, back on the Ferris wheel, everyone, as you said, is still complaining, and Ron cannot hear a damn thing, and he needs to. Um, you know what? I think as we're getting back into this, let's play this clip, and then we'll talk about it afterwards. That's a great idea. Right. Let's do it. Hey, Constantine, hit the button, buddy. When they're missing this long, they're usually dead. Well, if that's true, then you're going to have to answer to the whole town. And God. Okay, you were the one who let him out, Tom. Okay, now stop trying to blame me. Jerry, can you please be quiet? I can't hear myself not talking to Andy. <laughs> Ron, will you please tell me why April is mad at me? Ron, can you please tell Andy? All of you, be quiet. Yeah. Andy, she's mad because you said awesome sauce instead of I love you too. April, he loves you. Stop being a child. Tom, you're clearly at fault here. Blaming Jerry won't save you. Jerry! We both know you were shotgunning funnel cakes instead of watching Lil Sebastian. So everyone apologize to everyone else. Yeah. Sorry, Tom. Sorry. 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 I do love you. You do? No. Yeah. 
That's what, you know, makes the sauce so awesome. <laughs> oh, Jerry just farted. <laughs> I'm very upset. I get nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Distress-related gas, Mark, is no joke. Oh, you're telling me. <laughs> um, I think in, I like here for the second time in this in this episode, we've seen Ron kind of play dad to Leslie's mom and yeah. just be like, OK, you numbskulls, knock it off. This is what's going to happen, which I mean, I hate that he has to do that, but clearly they kind of need him to. Well, April and Andy especially needed him. Yeah, because I think, you know, this gave Andy his opportunity to just be very clear about what his mistake was and fix it. Step right. one, fix step two, it. But I did want to make the point. I don't think that Andy was embarrassed to say I love you and was trying to no. sidestep it because he was like, yeah, I think he was genuinely and sweetly that non-verbally challenged or dumb. Well, look back, Mark, if you think about all their interactions as as his interest in her started to become more apparent, hers predated his, obviously. Right. We, we all kind of live through the, the will they, won't they stuff. And then, you know, is Andy ever going to understand this? Right. He finally does. But even all through that, there's been a lot of high fives, right? Andy's been pretty, I'll say, unconventional in in, in his affection for April. And so this is not that different. I, I agree with you. The presence of all those things, like even calling her Ludgate or high yes. fives or dude or yeah. whatever. The, is it unconventional? Yes. Is it an indication that he is no longer romantically interested in her? Not, not a bit. At all. Not a bit. The other thing I loved was Ron when he said, you know, look, Jerry, it's 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 Tom's fault, but we know you were shotgunning funnel cakes. cakes. He told us he was getting a scrunchie. Yeah, well. Liar. Yeah. We, I never did see the scrunchie on little Sebastian's tail. Well, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe he was describing scrunchie as the shape of the funnel cake. I don't know. <laughs> well, Mark, over at the tent HQ. Leslie has learned the truth behind the so-called curse. Yeah, a repairman comes out of the tent to talk to Leslie. Uh, I think he's it's a repairman. Ed. She it, knows Ed. Repairman Ed. That's yeah. right. And apparently, the generator is shot. Uh, is what it comes down to. That's why everything went. <laughs> That's why everything went. <laughs> um, <laughs> so nice call back. And, and, and thank you. And and Leslie asks. What the what the heck? I got the the TMK twenty five hundred specifically because it's ex, extra beefy, like the dehydrated dude. Like yeah. it's supposed to handle yeah. this. What what happened? Wow. And he says, "Well, you know them their uh, TV crews there. They all plugged into it at once. Yeah. Over, overloaded it. What are you going to do? That this is what freedom of the press will get you. It'll get your generator <laughs> blowing up." And uh, so she basically says, all right, thanks for the info. Hey, where can I get another one now-ish? And he tells her, there's only one place in town that has a generator that size. And I think he shows her a piece of paper or something to indicate where he's talking about. Yeah. And you hear her say, you got to be kidding me. Uh, you know, Mark, I also love that right after she said, you know, she mentions the TMK 2500 because of its, uh, you know, extra capacity. You know, I think Ed gets a little excited and he's like, hey, uh, you know your stuff. Are you single? <laughs> Not now, Ed. <laughs> Why don't you calm down there, Ed? Bottle up that noise, Ed. Bottle up that noise. Well played. <laughs> well, you're right, Mark. And from there, you know, Leslie, based on that conversation with Ed, now realizes she's got to go back, tail between her legs. And talk to Ken Hatate. Yep, you are correct, sir. We 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 cut over to the Wamapo Casino, which is where he's at. You know, 
I guess, naturally. And and we see on the marquee uh, outside, <laughs> uh, apparently uh, Ken was right, because tonight only Rachel Ray. Yeah. Or Matchbox 20. Depending, depending on, on which version. Yeah. <laughs> so Leslie is now in the office of Ken Hotate and he, she's a tail between her legs, like you said, asking to borrow the casino's generator. And Ken is hesitant, but. Leslie is prepared to offer a few additional things, such as putting the Wamapoke history exhibit inside the carnival ground. So Ken hasn't said yes yet, but he does seem intrigued. Mark, I love how Leslie basically said, look, you know, this festival was supposed to be my love letter to Pawnee. Mm. And now it's, it's just turned into a note that says that we want to see other people. Yeah, it's, it's turned uh, uh, ugly a little bit. I think that talking head was added in the producer's cut, too. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, I can't stress enough. I think, again, I will probably get to this when we score the thing. But the producer's cut, even though there's not that many extra minutes, there's just enough there that it's really definitely the better version. Hmm. I think I would agree. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. All right. Well, over at the first aid tent, Mr. Uh, Kylie Jersey Shores has really enjoyed looking at Ann this whole time. <laughs> um, yeah. In, inside the first aid tent, Ann and Jersey Shore clone, I mean, Kylie are, are chatting. And, and so he's fine. And, and, you know, at this point, lights are out. Yeah. So, you know, and Ann tells him he's free to go. Long pause. Or, or inspired by Grammy Meagle, uh, he can stay there and make out with her. Oh, hell yeah. And so he jumped at the chance <laughs> and uh, Ann tells Donna to take a hike, which she does. Aye, aye, Captain. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I mean, Donna gave her the idea. So now she's got to, you know, make it happen. Yeah, let's Captain. come to roost. Yep. <laughs> make it happen, Captain. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, back, meanwhile, back at the casino, Leslie and Ken are going to come to a new understanding and what could possibly go wrong. <laughs> yeah. Leslie at this point, I think, has convinced Ken that her intentions are good and that she's trying to just do something good for the town. She's trying to save her friend's jobs. And he kind of smiles and says, you know what? All right, I'll let you have the generator. And, and you know what else I'll do? I'll also issue a statement saying that the curse has been lifted. But I think Leslie has another idea she does have a better idea and you know uh i love his line though mark where he says a native american tribe making a deal with the government what could possibly go wrong <laughs> what could go wrong <laughs> but speaking of that other great idea we're about to see it come to life in a sacred native american ceremony on the main stage mark and i, I think this is another one we should probably just play absolutely let's go for it Malavu, Mama Buka, Olive, Wapa Kuka, Marehe, Dubi, Dubi, Do. With that sacred ceremony, the Wamapo curse has been lifted. Wow, thank you. Intense stuff from Ken Hotate. And in other good news, he gave us a scare, but he's back now. The one, the only, Lil Sebastian. We spotted him from the top of the Ferris wheel at the center of the corn maze. After the power came back on, we went and got him. It took us four hours to solve that maze. It took the horse 15 minutes. <laughs> Jerry's still out there. <laughs> I suppose I ought to go look for him <laughs> right after I get a bratwurst. 
Well, priorities, Mark. I mean, come on. Look, Jerry's got corn out there. He's going to be fine. He's fine. Alan, a few notes about this uh, this clip. Um, I know that you and I both like to kind of keep a mental clock of where certain time frames are as we go from scene to scene. Yes. So I think when they got the replacement generator last night ish, last yeah. evening, it felt like. Um, so this is the next morning. Yeah. This ceremony is taking place in broad daylight the next day. Clearly. And it's basically another press conference. It looks yeah. like. And yeah. it's, it's right. I think it's probably right before the Harvest Festival opens. Is they're having a press conference. It's probably the day to kickoff. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it's a nice sunny day. Just, you know, everything's just real happy, happy. And and, you know, Ken Hotate, you got to love this guy, Alan. He he's clearly he loves messing with white people. He knows how to put on the show. He really does. It's really <laughs> funny. And, um, you know, he he's saying you can see the the, the captions, uh, you know, in his native language, as he's saying, you know, the the words, the, the native language is I am not saying anything, just making up words. No one can understand me anyway, followed by doobie doobie do <laughs> everybody <laughs> applauds. Um, so that, that's good stuff. And I want to say also, you kind of get the impression even more now. Ken and Leslie do not hate each other. I think they have a very friendly relationship. It's just they want different things sometimes. And, you know, that's that's how the game is played. But I think they like each other. Yeah. Um, And yeah, everybody going nuts about little Sebastian is really, really funny. Um, Ron's waving at little Sebastian. Yeah. I love my dad. I miss him every day. He's been gone for a while now. He had the goofiest little hand wave thing he would do to us as kids and his grandkids. It's right. almost like he's pinching with lobster claws. Right. And then when Ron does it every time, I just like bust out laughing. It right. gets me. It's almost like he's making a hand gesture of two little Pac-Man. Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly. going to eat the ghost like. monsters. Uh. Um, and, you know, during Ron's talking head, he he kind of fills us in like, yeah, we, we found little Sebastian. We finally found him. Uh, you know, he's at the center of the corn maze and we found it because we were on the Ferris wheel. So we had a good bird's eye view. And what you can't tell here from the audio, Alan, is that the camera shot showing little Sebastian, he's and you alluded to this before. And it's yeah, something that one, yeah. and it, it's something that I didn't catch his. Uh, what, what do I call it? His dress coat is is, is his, like his cape coat. is whatever. Um, What's the his negligee. I don't know what you call this thing, but let's, let's call it a dress coat. His it's dress- kind of like a saddlebag cover-up ish yes, thing, yeah. right? At which Tom put on there so you yeah. could see the snake hole lounge. Right, well, brilliant. I, I did literally yeah. because I did not realize this sucker <laughs> had lights. It had its own power pack. Yeah, I mean. The horse was glowing and don't get me wrong. I was glad they found little Sebastian. I was alarmed at first. Like, is he? He's being kidnapped by aliens. What's happening there? And then I realized, oh, it's Tom's (laughs) stupid Uh, cape thing that he put on there. Um, So, yeah, I thought that that was interesting. I think we could just call it a blanket. (laughs) (laughs) Well, see, I couldn't tell if it was a blanket or if it had like a hole for his head. Maybe it's just maybe it's just draped over him. I don't know. Yeah. Either way, it is visible from space. I think they could have seen him on the International <laughs> Space Station, along with the logo for the Snake Hole Lounge, of course. I do feel like it's a nice little little nod to the animal kingdom. You know, it takes us four hours to solve a maze. Takes that horse freaking 15 minutes. Yeah. Go figure. Well, And Jerry, like, longer by far. <laughs> well, Jerry's just going to stay there until someone comes and gets him. He might establish his home there. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, well, back over at the first aid tent, Kylie is back and he's uh, he came back to get some missing digits for man. Hey, hot lips. Um, <laughs> I got out of here so fast last night. I wasn't able to scoop them digits off you. Oh, geez. Hot lips. <laughs> that takes me back to mash. Hot I, lips. Oh, said, yep. Yep. Oh, God, we're old. <laughs> Look it up, kids. Yep. Um, so yeah, we're back at the first aid tent and we see Jersey Shore Kylie, uh, come back. He tries to get Ann's phone number and glances at Donna for a second and then politely refuses to give him her phone number. And he doesn't really seem sad about it. Like he he doesn't seem too undeterred. He's like, he smiles and says, okay, well, I'll see you later. And, and, and leaves and Ann and Donna bump fists. So you think, oh, that's nice. And Ann pauses and. She does have a moment of weakness where Ian <laughs> almost goes after him. You know, it's like he was really sweet. You know, maybe I'm just going to go see if he wants to grab some. And, and Donna has to physically grab her arm, drag her back. And she says, park it, <laughs> which is probably the right move. Yeah. Donna's the friend that Ann needs right now. Yes. For sure. Yep. Well put. And you know what? Like you said, Kylie's not worried. He doesn't mean to brag, but he's in the emergency room like all the time. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> that's something you would brag about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, man. Look, sir. It's a good thing he's got the looks, Mark, because I'm not sure he's got the brains. It, it's a burden for those of us who have both. <laughs> it really is. It's the the, the jealousy, Alan. The, the sheer jealousy is is palpable. What are you going to do? Mm. You know, I mean, you got your gifts. You got to flaunt them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I can't say that with a straight face. Let's uh, move on. <laughs> let's do. Well, Mark, this next sequence is terrific. Um, I, you know, we're kind of all over the Harvest Festival. We see kind of a a montage of of, of a bunch of things, uh, and it includes, you know, some helicopter shots, a great soundtrack song from Tom Petty, and I think it generally makes us really appreciate exactly how well you know, despite a small bump in the first day road, so to speak, hmm. that this Harvest Festival is actually going to turn out. Pretty impressive. Alan, that was that was really well said. I have almost identical thoughts that the, the way I put it is, yeah, we have a great montage set to Tom Petty's song, American Girl. It should it, the, the montage is showing everybody having a great time at the Harvest Festival uh, as if you so you can envision this at home. But although, like Alan said, we greatly uh, suggest you get the DVDs or, or stream the video so you can see this yourself. It's mo- on Peacock, by the way. The, <clears throat> oh, the, good. The producer's cut is on Peacock. Oh, nice. You got that. Yeah, I was curious. So, yeah, the montage was really, really well done. And, and it shows everyone having fun, shows all the hard work everyone put into it. And it also shows, for example, it's a bright sunny beautiful day so just like the the environment it's just really well done it shows a great scene of ron and tom on a kid's train where (laughs) where they're kind of riding on top and and ron of course is the the engineer at the the top and you know tom's in the caboose and they're both having a great time with the kids there um april and andy are on a carousel they've clearly made up just a very sweet moment andy's being a dork and acting like he's riding the horses there um Leslie's beaming at everybody at the entrance while she welcomes them. It, it, it feels some like somehow like we all won. Like, it does. Like victory, yeah. you know, and, and they kind of inter- they kind of interrupt the montage. This is an interesting thing because they continue it later, but they interrupt the montage and Tom Petty is still playing in the background and Ben walks up to the entrance and Leslie's like, oh, look who's look who's back. And he apologizes for leaving. He says he honestly felt like he was cursed, et cetera. And Leslie just looks at him and says, you know what? 
I, I get it. Like, I understand that. Yeah. Icetown was a disaster. You mismanaged the hell out of it. It was horrible. You know, <laughs> what do you, why, why would you even say that? But she goes on to continue. The harvest festival is as much his as it is hers. And it's great. And she's really, really glad that he's back. And she gives him a big hug, which I think that he needed, yeah. you know? Um, so this is all good. And then <laughs> to follow this up. So she gives this big hug. <laughs> and then uh, 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 right after the hug ends, we see, uh, who do you think, Alan? Ken Hotate yeah. come up to them. And Ken says to Leslie, is this a guy? <laughs> and she said, yeah, that, that's him. And then he says some some Indian uh, stuff, which is subcaptioned down below it, that to say, here, dummy. <laughs> and he throws some some mystery ash in Ben's face and then just kind of walks off. And uh. Ben is left kind of coughing and confused. <laughs> and Leslie just simply explains special Wamapoke ceremony. The curse has been lifted. Um, and uh, which is really nice because seriously, you figure that Leslie has probably been consumed with all this festival stuff. Yes. And yet she took the yep. time to say. Ken, I want you to do this for a friend of mine. Like that just shows how cool she is, how nice she yeah. is, you know? Well, and, you know, we'll get into this in a minute, but, you know, this whole thing's been building up to this, the, this kind of shift in their interpersonal relationship going from adversarial to kind of, you know, respecting each other to maybe something different. Yes. Yes. Hashtag dork flirting. Yes. Bazooka. So at the end of this, I, I do have to make mention, Alan, at the end of this great montage, like then after they have that great scene, Ben goes off to clean himself up on yeah. account of mystery ash. And Leslie goes back to welcoming people coming through the entrance. Yep. And there's a camera shot of her. Tom Petty is still playing in the background. Yep. And it kind of goes back into montage mode. Yeah. And the camera rises up rises up rises that great up helicopter shot and and, yep. and it eventually goes into a, a magnificent aerial shot the first ever of pawnee the first one i can certainly remember it's the first right. and, and yet i think it was it, and it's just fantastic it's one of the best feel-good moments of the entire series it really is well and the song is perfect i mean american girl you know and it just i think leslie and you know having have this victory with the the harvest festival um and you know it's nice to see the gang enjoying some success yeah yeah absolutely. it was funny to see the little you know guffaws and missteps last night you know but it was joan's fault all of it was joan's fault yeah <laughs> they won yes yeah absolutely well, Mark, all that's left in this episode is the kicker, and we get to spend a nice few final moments with the gang. Uh, and, you know, I think we're going to learn something here that maybe Ben finally does get it. Should we play this? Oh, we should. Let's go, do go it. for it. Close second, aren't you, little Sebastian? It really is amazing. You finally get it now, right? Hello? Mm. He's fantastic. I totally get it now. I don't get it <laughs> at all. It's kind of a small horse. I mean, what am I missing? Am I crazy? <laughs> hey, Ben, you just missed it. He winning. Oh, yeah, no, I totally heard that. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, so good, so good, so good. You know, Alan, what, one thought I had about that is 
you could think at first like, well, he's just he's like he's misleading them. He's lying to them. And I don't think that was the intention of it. I think that Ben still doesn't get it. I think that he respects the fact that everybody loves this horse enough that he's not going to gainsay them. Mark, I think he, he's going to fake it till he makes it. He, he absolutely <laughs> is. But still, look at the camera. Shake your head. I don't get it. He's kind of a small horse. <laughs> what am I missing here? And then when he whinnies, you can tell already that Ben knows that the oh crowd is going to get excited yeah. oh, about this. Gonna make he a just big doesn't deal. get it. This damn horse whinnied uh, and I have to act. Oh, no, no. I heard it. It's that was great. amazing. It's a great. I mean, I can't, you, did you hear the whinny? God, I hear the whinny. That's what I don't small get it. horses do. Yeah, I don't whinny. get it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mark. So much good stuff there at the end. And, you know, as we were watching a couple of things there, and, you know, I didn't mention this before, but. I love that aerial shot. It's so impressive. The magnitude of this thing that they've now pulled off, you know, together, as Leslie put it, her and Ben, and she's going to let him, you know, take part of the credit for that, which he rightfully deserves. He's been working very hard on this too. And hopefully that's a confidence booster for him. But, you know, I think it's going to, what, what's interesting to me about this episode is what it sets up for what comes. Mm. And how do you, how do you top this giant thing you've done? Well, it's 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 hard to get over this large, you know, high bar that you've set for yourself. Although I will say that this was a huge victory in the sense that, you know, the Parks and Rec Department has not been disbanded. I mean, this was true from from the get go for season three. This has been an enormous gamble. I mean, go big or go home. That was the name of the first episode. And so Leslie's like, you know what? We 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 got to do this. We can't just him and haw and kind of podunk exist on this reduced budget. Let's go for it. Let's take the gamble. It paid off. It did pay off. Very interesting. Well, we'll definitely have to tune in again to see what comes next. For sure. All right. I think that was a really good breakdown. I'm, again, I'm glad we broke it into two parts. Lots and lots of stuff to talk about there. Next up, I think we should get right into our tropes first, fun facts and stuff. And then maybe after that, we'll we'll take a little break. Yeah, you know, normally we would also talk about deleted scenes here, but yeah. there really there, there were none. There weren't any. I, I scoured the internet. I I went to the dark web. Um, <laughs> I looked everywhere I can, and I think you can find some stuff in the gag reel related to this episode. But I could not find what they would normally put on the DVD as a true deleted scene for whatever reason. Well, and I think that that was part of why, you know, you had made uh, a comment. Uh, I can't remember if it was earlier in this one or if it was in part one that that, you know, the producer's cut is the better version. I, I think I think overall I would be forced to agree with you. But I noticed that as I kind of went through all the differences between the aired version and the producer's yeah. cut. You mean Constantine did. He did this for you. Right? When Constantine did this, it, it, it seems like uh, it, it seems like there were a few things that were just whole hog added. But it seemed like the vast majority were extensions of conversations that were, you know, funny, but didn't like add tremendous, tremendous oomph. And I'm not saying that as a criticism, but just as I, I think I think the aired version still had the same basic shape and structure and oomph as the producer's cut. The producer's cut was just a little bit bigger with, with a few exceptions. Okay. That's fair. So I, I think that uh, the aired version deserves almost as many accolades as the producer's cut. Like I, I feel like the producer's cut is the better version. It just doesn't eclipse it by that much. I, I think I would agree. I would think from the differences I was able to make in far as making distinctions, I would say that this producer's cut and this aired version 
in spirit are much closer together than some of the other ones we've seen where without the extra material, there was a substantial difference between the two. All I was saying was, I don't think it would, and, and we'll get into scoring here in a bit, but I would say in this case, I, I agree with you. I feel like the spirit of this show was even included in the 2120 version, um, which is great. I mean, that just says a lot about the writers and the, the creative staff and the actors and the way this all came together. You know, we talked a little bit about how the first six episodes of this episode of the season were really recorded as an attachment to the end of season two. Yeah. And would they at the, when they finally got a break for Amy's pregnancy, get to come back with a renewed energy and like, would we feel it? I, I got something to say about the exact order of things, but I do think we feel it here. I think we benefit from that break. Finally. I, I think I would agree with that. I mean, I think that one thing I was afraid of is, is it going to seem jarring when we, yeah. when we compare how the, I'm going to call it the flow, how yeah. the flow of it was say last episode, which they recorded a long, long time before this yeah, one. That's true. Is there going to be like a big schism between the two? And it didn't feel like there was, it felt it really like a did. natural extension. Yeah. So uh, but, it's like when they build the cruise ship on the, the two different coasts and then they've got to put them together in one of the great lakes. <laughs> Something like that. I don't know how it actually works. You, Pretty was, amazing, though. I was going to say those exact words that you just said. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> no, that that is actually a good analogy now that I think about it. I mean, it's it's a pretty big undertaking to to conceive something in advance, work on it a little bit, take a break and come back to it and not notice that schism, though. I think that's the point. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, Mark, since there are no deleted scenes, should we get right into tropes then? Absolutely. Let's get into the first and tropes and all that fun stuff. Well, I had um, a few first. I don't think I think I had everything except goofs for this one. So maybe you had some goofs. I didn't. Um, So the first I had was I had the the first appearance of Wamapoke tribe leader Ken Hotate. Yep. Good call. Played by the great Jonathan Joss. Yep. Um, First time Leslie hugs Ben. Oh, uh, first time April. Awesome and sauce. Awesome sauce. Speaking of which, the first time April and Andy say they love each other. Yes. Um, first ever aerial shot of Pawnee. Yeah. First, you mentioned this earlier, uh, the first Joan Calamezzo gotcha. Yep. And I feel like this episode had so much in it. I, that's all I had. Did I miss any? Probably. But again, <laughs> I mean, it's just, like you said, there was so much stuff here. It's like I, I found myself kind of like standing in a pile of uh, trying to sift through it. And it's like, have I counted this yet? I, I said it was the first time Little Sebastian's introduced or at least that we see Little Sebastian. Did I not have that? Holy crap, I didn't. How did I miss that? I don't know. It's one of those that was so obvious you forgot it was standing next to you things, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. I said it was also the first major event in Pawnee. Like like the first time we've seen anything big. Since the factory fire. <laughs> Fair enough. <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> um, I, the first mutual interest expression in each other. I mean, it really took the form of the hug, but I think it was a lot more than that. All the banter, the, what'd you call it? The nerd. hashtag dork flirting, dork flirting. Yeah. I love that. Let's see if we can get that trending on Twitter this week. <laughs> um, it's actually a pretty good one. So it might generate some interest, but yeah, I, I feel like that there were a lot of firsts and yet, you know, they were also able then to, you know, have some fun with some of the existing tropes. What'd you get there? Uh, had uh, town hall murals. Yep. Uh, the traveling magician burned at the stake. Love Fantastic. It. Now that was only in the producer's cut, but you know what? Producer's cut is different from deleted scenes. It's canon. It aired. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Good call. Um, PBJ. Lots. Lots. 
Oh my gosh. What are Dugan to you? So, some, actually a few deserved moments and then as usual, quite a bit of undeserved moments. And see, I had made that distinction before. It was interesting to me that, yeah, I get it. Everybody picks on Jerry. He's yeah. everyone favorites, everyone's favorite punching bag. And a lot of times he'll do something that's only minorly annoying and they'll way blow it out of proportion. But sometimes he does things and I'm like, okay, dude, <laughs> you you brought that on yourself. So lots of both, I think, in yeah, this episode. Um, uh, Ice Town Clown. That's my what I call that trope. Just because yeah. the Ice Town was brought up. And it's a thing at this it point, is a thing. right? Um, Biggie, Ben doesn't get it. Yeah, lots, I got that one too. Uh, which all, this goes off in hand in hand with it. Uh, ben mugs to the camera. Yep. <laughs> which I love. I, didn't we make a, a comparison or someone made a comparison to him a few episodes ago? Like uh, Jim Halpert. Uh, uh, a modern day Bob Newhart. Oh, Bob, Bob Newhart. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it does remind me of, of Halpert's mugs to the cameras, like where he just gets to the point. It's like, this is ridiculous. You know, I got to I got to share this with somebody. Yes, except that when Jim does it, he seems in a much more cool and confident place. Like he's ah. in on the joke, whereas Ben sometimes is like, what's happening? What's That's happening around me? You know yeah. what I mean? I, I, had, I had for my tropes. Additionally, I had and you may have a few more, but I had our BAM. You know, I think there's oh, fewer yeah. Ben's awkward moments, but it's yeah. almost like the Ben's awkward moment now transitions usually into a Ben doesn't get it. A Bidgey, as you like to call them. Right. right? So it's almost like a formula. Right. Which often includes then the mug to the camera. So, yeah, you get the trifecta. The only other two I had was uh, see if the judges will agree with this. I said sure. mouse rat names because of eagle eyed tiger. Well, he claimed it. I know. So I think Claim it counts. It. Yeah. I Nailed it. Counts. Um, and I also had something. This is an interesting one because it's something that I associate with Parks and Recs very strongly. And yet we haven't seen a lot of it yet. And you were the first one that brought this up in season one, I think. Leslie and compliments Ah, it was like, oh, and beautiful, beautiful. And, you know, yeah. oh, yo, thank you for saying no compliment. Now run and run like the wind. Beautiful mermaid that you are. Or, I mean, she didn't say that last one, but <laughs> but, you know, it's it's the, I'm glad that it was present in this because we haven't heard one of those for a while. We haven't. Nope. What I miss. That's it. I had I had those and I had uh, the the extra the bam there. But that's about it. I mean, I feel like. You know, there was a lot. I, I guarantee you on both first and tropes, we missed something. We just had to. There's just so much yeah. in this, packed in this episode. So you said you didn't have any goofs and I don't have any official goofs. I'd say the one thing I wouldn't, it's not a goof per se. You know what, Alan, we like to provide our own goofs. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, we provide many, Mark, <laughs> usually without trying and, and often you know, thankfully, Constantine edits those out. So yes. it makes us look better than we are. Oh but, my gosh. you know, and then kind of transitioning from that maybe into our fun facts. Um, you know, one of the things I learned during the director's commentary, you probably picked up on this too, was that, you know, they shot this on the set of a real carnival that was about to open. I mean, because you imagine all these shots of the Harvest Festival and the tents and the, the temporary structures I and mean, all that stuff was real and mm -hmm. it was on camera. So it wasn't green screen stuff. And, and you know, if, if this... I can't even imagine what the set deck would have cost for a show like this had they not taken advantage of something that was out in the real world. Oh, holy cow. Yeah. yeah. I can't impressive. even imagine. It, it is impressive. Now, I assume that they manually put the Sweetums logo on oh, one yeah. of the tents. They, they, they did a lot of digital work and they put up some some printed banners and stuff like that to dress the set, so to speak, right. as their own. Right. And it made it all very believable and you know really did. It suspended that disbelief for us for a lot. Um, the only other thing I had that I was going to mention, and, and, and you can let me know if you've got anything else, was I have to bring it back up. 
earlier in the series to date, Mark, and I don't remember what episode it was, and I did not have time to go find the exact episode, but you remember the deleted scene where Leslie basically said she thinks that small animals are weird. Yes. And specifically, I brought up at that time that that would have broken the opportunity for her to have either liked or even cared about a character like little Sebastian. Is it the one with fairway Frank? It might've been because it was definitely one with other animal related activity. And that would make a lot of sense. Hmm. So anyway, I do remember that though. I've been watching as I think you are or maybe about to the Marvel. What if series mm. I'm thinking we need to produce an episode of Pawnee parks oh, and recreation. Wow. What if little Sebastian never existed? Wow. I mean, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because what what would, you know, nature abhors a void. It really does. Um, what would have been the star of the Harvest Festival if not Little Sebastian? I don't know. It, 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 it's the, fun to the, think about. The, the mind boggles. <laughs> it does. <laughs> well, when we figure out what that is, we'll come back and we'll present it as our idea, of course. I like it. Yeah. What fun facts do I have? I I had one that I already talked about, which is the, the, the traveling magician that got burned at the stake yeah. and... and the rabbit. rabbit. I love that. I and love you that. Can love that. I love that. It miss it so easily. Um, you almost have to pause it on that scene. Because you can almost go, okay, I get it. It's crazy to burn someone at the stake, but he did produce magic and Pawneeans are kind of weird. So, okay. But then to go, rabbit, your history. Like, <laughs> like that just kind of amps it up to 11 and I love it. Well, and the rabbit's like three foot tall and very anthropomorphic. So, it's pretty funny, just visual. It looks like a human, too. Um, <laughs> um, they need a word for that. <laughs> they really do. I had mentioned that, uh, you know, we had a first for the first aerial shot of yeah. Pawnee at a town. Just yeah. really, really well done. Yeah. This was the first one. There's only two in the series run. This was one of them. Okay. And the other one occurs. So slight spoiler to the series. It occurs during the last episode with Ann and Chris. Ah, okay. So just interesting, you Very know, interesting. Um, That's not the one I would have thought you were going to say it was in, and I don't remember it, but I'm certain we'll capture it when we do. But um, very interesting. Only twice. The other fun fact I had was uh, uh, the great Jonathan Joss, who plays Ken Hotate in this episode, of course, yep. was also known for doing the voice of John Redcorn within yep. Greg Daniels' show, King, King of the, of the Hill. Hill. Yeah. Absolutely. I love John Redcorn. It's great. It's a good character. I did not recognize his voice. I think it's been just long enough since I've seen King of the yeah. Hill that I forgot. But then I'm like, yeah. oh, my gosh, that is it. Yeah. Well, he's a great actor. He's very funny. He did a very good job. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. All right, Mark. Well, that's a, that's a pretty good summation of our normal deleted scenes. First tropes, fun facts, goofs, etc. Why don't we take a real quick break and then we'll be right back. All right. Consider that time, space, and reality as you know it are not fixed, but fluid. Contemplate that another version of you on a different branch in the timeline made substantially different choices leading up to this very moment. I observe all, but I cannot and will not interfere. Not not again. It was really bad last time. I got yelled at. But that is a different story for a different time. Journey with us to explore the unknown as we ask the big question. Pawnee, what if? 
I am the Waffler. <clears throat> Holy cow, I may actually watch this show. Hello, this is Ron Swanson. Damn it, Constantine, I said no reverb. <clears throat> Hello, this is Ron Swanson. Coming this fall on LFP TV, episode one of Pawnee What If Harvest Festive Fail. Imagine a world similar to the one you know, but different. In this version, Leslie and the gang must pull off the perfect Harvest Festival in order to save her beloved Parks Department. But unlike the world you know, in this one, Leslie hates many animals. Scientifically, hummingbirds are the world's cutest animals. But you know what isn't cute? Miniature horses. They're just weird. They're just weird. They're just weird. 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 And without little Sebastian, the Harvest Festival is a flop and ends after only three days due to poor attendance. What happens? Tune in to find out. Also, on this season of Pawnee What If, we imagine what if Mark Brendanowitz stayed at City Hall? What if Ben and Chris went back to Indianapolis? What if April never forgave Andy and moved to Venezuela? What if Ron stayed with Tammy too? I scared myself there. And finally, what if Andy never fell in the pit, 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 pit. Join us next Wednesday for the season one premiere of Pawnee What If? And stick around until after the credits for a special sneak peek of our spin-off series, April Ludgate, What Evs? Thank you. That is all. All right, everybody, we're back. Well, Mark, I think we're at the point now where it's time to do that score thing. I think you're right. Well, let, let's get on into it. All right. Well, I want to do the thing that I've done in a lot of episodes in the past and introduce who I would consider my episode MVP. I would expect no less. Mark. <laughs> well, there, there's so many good candidates. This is such a strong episode. It's, it's hard to find a person who wasn't good in this. But at the end of the day, I have to give it to Amy Poehler. As Leslie Nope, I felt like she was just the all around MVP on this. This this episode, I feel like from a character development and plot perspective, I feel like this was an important one for Leslie for many reasons, not the least of which is she saved the freaking Parks and Rec Department. Um, I think this was a great end to a seven episode uh, story arc. Uh, I think it was a great episode, a great vehicle for empowering Leslie and showing. I know I've said this in the past, but I must say it again, showing how smart and savvy and hardworking and funny and nice and kind yeah. and thoughtful she is. And quite frankly, and make... she can still GSD. <laughs> what is that? Get stuff done. Oh, right. I don't know the things you kids say. <laughs> but yeah, she can, she can, she can get SD. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and I came out of this episode, Alan, loving Leslie even more than I already did. Like, I, I really liked how this, the light this put her in, yeah. you know? Um, a few other notes. So this, I know we kind of said this before, but I'll say it again. This episode builds to one of the best, if not the best episode endings with not only an awesome montage, but a final aerial shot of Pawnee. I mean, talk about a feel good ending. I, I love this. Um, it had great guest stars. 
Each with each with a decent amount of screen time. Despite this, I felt like it also featured scenes for everybody, with the exception of Chris, who was purposefully not written into this episode. So, in other words, great, great use of the comedic bench and a demonstration of one of the greatest ensemble casts ever working together like a machine. Like, yeah. I just feel like they knocked this out of the park. I will say I did miss Chris, though. I, I did, too. Yeah. Which, again, says something about that character. It does. Like, Rob yeah. Lowe does a great job with it. He really him. does. And they've written him really well. They have. Um, and so speaking of guest stars, I really like Jonathan Joss as Ken Hodate. And, and, you know, I know I mentioned this before as well. At first, I thought maybe when I first saw him, he would be another one on our Leslie Nemesis list. But no, that, no. that that's not the role he plays here. Right. Um, so I, I, but I thought he did a great job. I think he's a very funny, great actor. I think in this episode, more than ever, Parks and Rec feels like it takes place in a fully realized world. Like, I think I think part of this is their masterful use of supporting characters. So if there was more to them, it would be too confusing because there'd be too much going on in the episode. If there's less of them, they'd be instantly forgettable. But instead you strike this perfect balance like they did with Joan and they did with Purd and they did with Ken. And it feels like this real fleshed out world. It's remarkable for a sitcom to accomplish that. And it's it's very rare. And it's one of the things that allows this show to build upon itself and lets episodes stand on the shoulders of past episodes to achieve greater heights. Um, Standing on the shoulders of giants. I know, literally, Ann Perkins. Um, I I love this story arc. I know I've said this before in in past episodes, but I thought that this was tremendously effective from a plot perspective. It gives us serious stakes, which is the Parks and Rec Department could be disbanded without making it too serious and turning it into a drama. And it it made me care more about what happened. Finally, I all I I don't know if others would agree with me on this, but I'm going to stick my neck out and say this. I love I love that Ben, I know that's easy to look at Ben and think of him as an outsider and I get it. And he is, but I also love that Ben, in my opinion, is kind of like our control group. Like that's interesting way to look at it. Pawnee is wonderful and wacky. And I love visiting these wacky characters in this wacky world. I love it. Love it. Love it. And yet there's an element where it's like, you guys are nuts. And it's, it's good to see a heavy air quotes here normal person yeah. like me, Alan. Well, he's every man, right? <laughs> or every person. And, right. And I think that that's a very, uh, that's not, they're not the first to invent that, right. uh, that, that vehicle through which we get to see a crazy, wacky world, but they do it really well. Yeah. And, and I, but I like, and it might've been missing until Ben and Chris got here, frankly. I, well, you know what? I think, it, you know, I was thinking about this. Do you remember when the very first Ron and Tammy episode was, I think the first episode where they established the very obvious fact, Alan, that libraries are evil. Well, of course they are. And, and, I think they kind of played around with this and tried to do it with Anne where she was like, I don't know why these people think the library is evil. Like that kind of showed kind of a normal person, but even then it's still a little bit different because Anne is a Pawnean. Ben, Ben isn't. That's true. He's a true outsider. Yeah, that's a great point. So anyway, I I love that he doesn't get certain things because at a certain point, it's fun to visit Pawnee, but it's also fun to say you guys are freaking nuts. (laughs) It's a nice place to visit, but I wouldn't want to live there, Mark. That's right. Except I would go to JJ's Diners a lot. Well, yeah. So, Alan, on a scale of nine to ten, what did I rate this episode? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, very nice callback. Thank you. And appropriate. So. 
first before i give my score i want to say that i did watch both the aired episode and the producer's cut yeah we talked a little bit about the differences and everything and the last time we did one of these as i recall mark you actually gave a different score for each of those that's right that's right so i think that they're it's close but i'm gonna i'm thinking well and remind people too i think it's good to remind them every once in a while we've kind of constrained ourselves we're we'll do half point increments but we will not carve any any thinner than that we won't do a 0.25 or a 0.75 you know you can be a six a six and a half a seven a seven and a half an eight but there's there's we're not allowing ourselves to choose any middle ground because i think if we were we'd be taking advantage of that a lot so yeah. you're either rounding up or rounding down pretty aggressively at points yes i agree with the thing that you just said for the next 30 seconds uh-oh crap this See, is why we have the pre-show chat, Mark. No, go go ahead. Go ahead. I just thought we had that for the snacks. <laughs> um, so I, I am going to give two scores, okay. first of all. <clears throat> so let me launch into the crazy Mark rubric and see if we can make some, some sense out of this chaos of here. Course. All right. So first of all, I know I typically give a base score. I'm going to do that here. Gets a five. It's, it's, it's huge. That's your highest base score ever. It's huge laughs. Great feel good moments, good plot, fleshed out world, relationship building. Literally, Ann Perkins, this one had it all. So I I, I can't detract for anything there. I'm going to give a bonus point for the great performance by episode MVP, Amy Poehler. Uh, we already talked about that. I'm going to give half a point for the fantastic use of the deep comedic bench, uh, including Donna and Jerry quite a bit. Yes. And, and guest stars to boot. Yes. Um, Speaking of which, I'm going to give a half point for a fantastic job by Mo Collins as Joan Calamezzo for her dogged pursuit of a scandal. Uh, I think this is her most pronounced demonstration of her Leslie nemesis-ness. It's been culminating to date, but boy, is it just right there in your face. I think so. And funny. I'm going to give half a point for the use of Purred Happily by the great Jay Jackson, including his TV interview with Ken Hotate and the animated reenactment, which I just howled at. I love it. It's ridiculous and awesome. Speaking of which, I'm going to give half a point to Ken Hotate because I thought he did a great, great job. I love that he messes with everyone regarding the curse and And lifting the curse. Um, So well done. I'm going to give half a point to Ron Swanson playing dad. To Leslie's mm-hmm. mom multiple times during this episode, eventually shouting at everyone and telling them why they're shut their Stupid. pie holes. And yeah, <laughs> and they and they need him. Yeah. So like despite Leslie being tr- really the, the de facto leader of yeah. the Parks Department, they need him too. Yeah. Um, I said I love that Ben is like our control group. Half point for that. I got to give him that. I'm going to give a half point for the great feel-good montage at the end, coupled with the final aerial shot of Pawnee, giving us one of the greatest endings ever to yep. Parks and Rec. So this is this is where my score stops for the normal aired episode. And if okay. you go the math, math, any math, math, yeah. you come up with 9.5 nine. little Sebastians. Right, nine and a half, okay. Now, I... I, I, I sat in solitude and I, I, I went, you know, I, I chanted and I, yeah. I did yogi, uh, yoga and, uh, you burned some incense. I did the whole thing because I thought is, you should it, try this new candle. Is this, <laughs> oh, wow. Thank you. Well done. Yeah. Like, and I thought to myself, is this going to be it? 
Yeah. Is this is this, is this it? Could, could could this be the one that climbs to the zenith, the summit, the top of the mountain? And what it comes down to. You've got me on the edge of my seat, Mark. And there is a difference in the score. But what it comes down to, Alan, is I'm a coward. <laughs> so so here's what I'm going to say. All right. The producer's cut of this came the closest to anything I've seen to date to being a 10. Yeah. And if someone like you wanted to be brave enough to make your mark on this and call this or make your Alan on this, I don't care, and call it a 10, I would understand. Here's what I'm going to do. I said that the aired version and the producer's cut were very, very similar. And there yeah. are there are a few differences. There's one thing that made a difference for me. The traveling magician mural where both he and the bunny got burned at the stake. That is so fantastic. That's good. I'm going to give it a quarter point. <laughs> I just said that we had rules, Mark, and you've totally ignored the rules. I know. And those. But I don't blame I, you. I, I, I I just broke those rules. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so, so my official rule breaking score, uh, my pod, podcast viewers, if you're shattered by this, I understand if you need to leave us now. But so my final score, aired, this won't be the thing that sends them away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to blame Constantine anyway. So my final aired version score, I give it a nine five. The producer's cut, I'm going to give a nine seven five. It, I. I I don't know how this would be any better. Maybe if I had to struggle to say something bad about this, I would yeah. say maybe the in Donna story drug a little bit. That's it. Everything else was so freaking good. So the, if I were a braver man, Alan, yeah. if I were a man, Alan, if you weren't I, a coward, yes, if I weren't a, a, a brazen, brazen coward, I may have given this a 10. I reduced it to 975 just because I I just kind of feel like then where do we go? I don't know. So no pressure. What you got? <laughs> this is why I, sometimes letting you go first is the smart thing and sometimes it's not. <laughs> <sighs> I won't tell you which this week is. All right, look, here's what I'll say. I'm going to just jump straight to it. Oh, no, I'm not. <clears throat> hold on. I'm not ready. Buckle in. No, <sighs> um. Bottle that noise. Bottle that noise, Mark. I'm not going to break the rules. Oh. I followed the rules. It was hard. Oh, It was so hard. Oh, no, I don't. Here's what I'm going to say, though. Okay. This was so close to making, forcing me to round up to the perfect score. Uh-huh. So close. Uh-huh. I will say if they had figured out a way to not break the cool thing they do with his arc and put him in anyway and get Chris Traeger in this episode, and it was even remotely funny. And it, you know, it would have been, this would be a 10.0. Oh, that's such a smart thing to say. So I'm giving it a nine and a half because I followed the rules. Coward. Does it make me feel dirty? Yes. <laughs> does it deserve a nine, seven, five? Yeah, it really does. Look, I mean, look, we've talked about this. We said in a world of absolutes, which of course we live in. Mark, yes, I know. Right. We live in this world of absolutes. Yeah. And if we're going to have a, a, a one, you got to have a 10 and everything else is in the middle. Yeah. I guess you could give a zero, but you know, if you even roll celluloid, celluloid, that's not even a thing anymore. If you even come on air at all, you get a half a point, right? So, well, yeah. Or seven quarter, three quarters if you're Mark, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not bitter about it. Um, you write your name on the, on the SATs, you get like five points. So yeah. you can't get a zero. But that means in this world of absolutes, you have to have a one, you have to have a 10. Right. 
I, I'm almost at the point now where I got to go out and just watch the rest of the series so I know where my 10 is going to be. I, I think I know. I do think I know already. But man, is this close. It was really hard not to. I just, everything about the episode, and I won't beat it, the, the, the stick with the dead horse anymore, our little Sebastian, but we just, it was such a good episode. I, I can't say much more than that, honestly, and I just really enjoyed it. Wow, those are great points. I have to tell you, I am so, being the the, the brazen coward I am, I, I was so relieved to hear that you had such a tough time with this too, because if I you were just like, you know, Hey, Mark, you suck 10. Then I would have been like, I don't even want to be here anymore. But <laughs> but the fact that seriously, the fact that you had such a tough time deliberating on this makes me feel a little bit better. I was going to make one other final note about this. And I, this may seem really, really obvious. And quite frankly, I'm going to be surprised if I didn't make this point in the past. But I don't know that I have. And I think you're going to agree with this. Sometimes I feel like an episode score isn't just the sum of its parts. I kind of mentioned this earlier, I guess, to an extent, but it's also a sum of all the episodes that came before. It, you know, you're talking about the Lord of the Rings here, Mark, the Oscar for the Return of the King. Is that what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, it was the, the least deserving of the Oscar, but it was the one that got it because it was the sum of its parts. In my I opinion, guess, I guess that's true nerd it's true uh, but but so yeah I, so you know what to to carry that analogy along um i i think that harvest festival meant more to me because i was invested in this arc and and if this was a standalone in a vacuum i would have yeah. said you know what this is pretty funny but it would not have popped the way that it did for That's me true. because i was invested in all the other very well written very funny very very full of heart moment episodes that came before this this is the reason that i care that april said i love you to andy because otherwise why would i care that's you true. know so yes this deserves my 9.75 <laughs> but um Whatever. it would not have got this highest score had they not already prior to this episode and independent of this episode built such a strong rich world I, I totally agree. I, I feel like, you know, we, we've said we've said a lot. And, uh, you know, Mark, one of the things that we haven't kind of recapped here is just exactly how funny this episode was, in addition to all of those things. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, again, we've talked about how it's such a rare sitcom that can poke at those things that aren't always funny, that they're heartwarming and that they're meaningful. And this arc has been a really fun arc. It's interesting. I said this last week that it's a seven episode arc and we have this great moment of culmination and feel good and Tom Petty and all this, you know, aerial shots. And it's only the seventh episode out of like 15. Yeah. Or 16 or something like that. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a little bit shorter. It's a shorter season, but we're basically halfway through it. What's going to happen next? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, real quick, I'm going to give you our my top 10 moments from the show, Mark. You limited it to 10? Oh, God, no. <laughs> okay. It's top 10 in title only. I'm going to try to take 10 breaths during this. So okay. it's at least 10 of something. Well done, sir. But but again, like everything else in this, you know, jumbo packed episode, um, there's a few more than 10. But, you know, let's let's hit a few of them real quick. Please. Mark, the last time they had the Harvest Fest, it was the most photographed object in America. Suck at the Alamo. Son, this horse has an honorary degree from Notre Dame. <laughs> they can't put Sue's salad on deep fried boulevard. Mark, that's crazy talk. Right. Um, you're a nerd mixed with a dork or something. <laughs> During the battle, the 93-year-old chief was shot 102 times by the cavalry. Did, Did he, he die? die? <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, Anne has bought $700 worth of candles to uh, help her get over her breakup with Chris. Um, Mark, is that Pawnee or Eagleton corn? Mm. Didn't uh, Joan. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Andy thinks that this carnival game, it's almost like they don't want you to win. I know. <laughs> April says, I love you. Dude, shut up. That's awesome sauce. Uh, I mean, Andy, my God. Yeah. But funny. Yeah. That is a shockingly huge mini horse erection. <laughs> I'm just going to come out and say it. Fifth leg and all. Just in case that, you know, you didn't get what we were alluding to before. Yeah, this yeah, just cuts said, through the hay. There it is. That's right. We're brave. Joan finally gets to say to Leslie, and for the first time that we hear it, gotcha. Yep. And we, will be, we won't be the last. Uh, Mark, this is what we call your classic four rod disaster. Yep. I mean, I just, that's such a stupid line, but it's so funny because it's so Leslie and we get it. Um, I'm sorry, but do, do people in this town actually really believe in curses? <laughs> and then the look that she gives him and then what happens next, we've alluded to it. You know, the traveling musician and his rabbit are burned by a mob in 1973. <laughs> oh. The fact is, Mark, that this carnival is being held on top of an ancient Wamapoke burial site. So check back with News Channel 4, the number one in curse coverage. Curse coverage. <laughs> oh, I forgot to tell you, I might be going to Venezuela tomorrow. That old gem. Forever. Forever. Grammy Meagle died at the sweet old age of 84, sandwiched between two 30-year-olds. And nothing better than a 30-year-old sandwich. Oh, my God. Good, good for Grammy Meagle. Mm-hmm. At no time was any Parks Department worker, quote, feasting on petting zoo animals. Ridiculous. Uh, you know who introduced that, right? It was Joan. Oh, yeah. It was totally Joan. Leslie, speaking of Joan, how big a disaster will this be on a scale of nine to ten? <laughs> the festival was supposed to be her love letter to Pawnee, but now it's just a note she says she wants to see other people. It's a shame. Again, the writing, Mark, the writing. Yeah. Or he could stay and make out with Anne until the lights comes back on. Oh, Good for Anne. You know oh, what? hell yeah. Good for Anne. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. And Ben finally gets it, Mark. Even the Winnie. Uh, he really no, doesn't. he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> There's one last thing I wanted to mention. You know how I, I said that the one thing that differentiated my score, <clears throat> 9.75, yeah, is, uh, is the cheater thing. It, it, it was that mural. I really, really did like that mural. Yeah. I, I thought it was really, really funny. Um, it's a shame that it the, the use of that eclipsed what I thought was another funny moment from the aired version, which is where Ben says, oh, yeah, you know, so you're are you telling me do the citizens of Pawnee really believe in curses? And Leslie like looks at him like he's stupid and goes, oh, no, no, we all just behave rationally and believe we're all in charge of our own destinies. Come on. <laughs> and the way she does it is hysterical. That is pretty good. That's yeah. a great example of where the producer's cut may have won, but we lost out on a little nice nugget that was in the other version. I agree. And they, they do like writing alt jokes in there. And I think usually they're extensions, but there's a good example. Yep. Yeah. Well, Mark, I think that's a pretty good recap. I think we've covered it as well as we're going to. And I think now we should pay up and do what we promised to do. We're going to play a couple snippets from our interview with Jay Jackson a.k.a. Purd Happily. Purd Happily. And then we'll be right back. All right, let's do it. All right.
Well, our guest today is Jay Jackson, who played Purd Happily on Parks and Recreation. And uh, Jay, welcome. We're so thrilled to have you here today. Thanks for having me. It's awesome. I'm honored that you would pick old Jay Jackson here for this. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's hard to do a Parks and Rec podcast without talking about Purd. Absolutely. <laughs> That's funny. How, how do you think Purd would kick off this podcast interview? I, I think he'd be really good at that. Well, Purd would say something like, we'll begin this interview by starting this conversation. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh. That's great. Well, how, how did you come to Parks and Rec? How did that wind up as an opportunity for you? Well, you know, it was just a regular audition um, that I had gone on and I got the part and it was just, you know, supposed to be one appearance. It was you know, that's all it was written for, because, you know, a lot of times they will write the script, you know, weeks in advance, six or seven episodes in advance, sometimes more. So there were no parts, other parts written for Purd, but they liked the performance, you know, the the, the runners of the show and uh, they wrote some more parts in for Purd and, you know, the rest is history. Wow. Absolutely. You must have done something right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, it was but the whole thing was I knew it was kind of a, you know, over the top kind of show. And I'm, a, you know, I'm a real reporter. I was a reporter for 20 something years. Right. Uh, working in TV news in Los Angeles and San Diego. So I knew the TV news sound, but it, I figured if I go over the top with it, um, <laughs> it might uh, get some attention. And so it did. You know what I mean? Oh, they yeah. loved it. Oh, yeah. Heard. <laughs> well, how could you not like that? Oh, my gosh. So funny. Yeah. So funny. You know, that's it. That's the tip to everybody who's trying to be an actor in Hollywood. Go over the top all over the, the time. Top. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Let them bring you. Let them bring you down. Let them bring you down. Instead of coming in dull, you know what I mean? So. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good tip. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you did it. And Purd is uh, definitely a memorable character for sure. So, yeah, it's so funny. You know, I, I read these articles online and Purd is mentioned with the likes of Mary Tyler Moore and uh, <laughs> Ed Baxter and all the other great, t- you know, TV journalists. I'm like, really? <laughs> Purd, that's so funny. Wow. Well, you know, Christmas Scandal, which is the second episode that Purd appeared in, second of what, 31? Yeah. So, yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. did you, um, I mean, kind of, wh- what do you remember about that episode or, or really any of your appearances as Purd? Does anything stand out? Well, um, you know, the worm, that one is always, uh, wow. it, it was a tele- telethon episode where I do the worm and, you know, <laughs> the worm is funny. That's That's a funny gag, but the funniest part of that to me is when Ron Swanson is asleep on the couch and he wakes up and he looks at the TV and on TV, on the TV, I'm doing the worm and Ron goes, what the bloop are you happily? That is hilarious to me. You know what I mean? So, so when people talk about that episode, I said, yeah, that the, the worm is funny, you know, doing the whole physical thing, but the way Ron Swanson or, you know, Nick uh, Offerman does that line, his response is yeah. hilarious to me, you know, it's after the whole sleep boxing thing. That's great. <laughs> what a funny show, right? Oh yeah. Sure. Amazing writing. I mean, yeah. Just, yeah. you know, and I, and I know there was some improv, you know, but I mean, you know, high 90% of that show was scripted, right? Oh yeah. Most of it was scripted. And you've probably heard before what we, you know, did with these things called, you know, after we do the scripted part, you know, we would do what's called a fun run. Yeah. And the fun run is when you kind of make up the lines, but you're still staying along the theme of the scene and you're just kind of making up the lines. And there's several, there's a, there's quite a few per happy lines that are in there from the fun run. So, you know, <laughs> that that's cool. And I see, you know, listen, I am not at that time, I was not an experienced actor at all. And I'm in there working with some highly skilled 
thespians like yeah. Mo Collins, right, and yeah. uh, Amy Poehler, and Chris Pratt. You know, all of these highly trained improvisational actors and talents. You know, so I was learning on the set. That's the whole mm-hmm. thing about it. I was learning. I'm so thankful I was working next to Mo Collins a lot because she is just absolutely the best at it. I mean, you know, with everyone there on the set, but, you know, I'd, I'd have to say that I took a lot from Mo and from Amy That's as far true. as improvising. And it's great that some of your stuff got to stick in there. Yeah, right? Yeah, it's a real surprise. You know, because at the time, you, got, you have to remember and, and take this in the context of the show, we didn't know if we were going to be renewed every year for the first three or four years. So it was, yeah. it was kind of, you know, blowing it off, really. And I was working also on Scandal at the time, remember? And Scandal oh, was yeah. a excited. Yeah. Right. Yeah. At the same yeah. time. So Scandal was a much bigger show. It had, you know, uh, Parks and Rec at the time was getting three, four million people a week. Right. Scandal was getting, you know, 12 to 15 million wow. people a week. And I was on that show, 27 episodes. So it was almost the same kind of impact as Parks and Rec and Purred Happily. Yeah. So, you know, we were just not not even taking ourselves seriously on Parks and Recreation in the early years. I think that's what contributed to it, because we just didn't think that was going to continue. Everybody else was doing other work. You know, Amy was shooting other movies and, you know, the uh, Grammys or whatever the award show she does all the time. So, you know, I think that kind of kept everybody free and loose. Not we didn't have the pressure of, oh, we have to do good so we can get renewed for the next year. Right. And I think that contributed to the show. That's one of the untouched things about that show that people don't know. They don't talk about. But I truly believe that that's one of the reasons everything on that show seems so you know, we're just not taking ourselves seriously. Right. right. Yeah. We've heard a lot too, just about like the attitude, uh, you know, or the, the environment that Amy created, you know, kind of, you know, Mike was the showrunner, but you know, in lots of ways, I, I think I've heard that they weren't going to do the show without Amy. So, you know, her, her influence on the show is, you know, really beyond measure. And that, you know, she just helped kind of create this environment that people really enjoyed working in. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, Amy is, and I've said this before, Amy was patient with me. You know, it became clear early on. I don't have the improvisational skills that she and, you know, uh, Aziz and all of them had. And but what I think the beauty of the show was they wanted a a reporter who sounds like a reporter. Mm -hmm. So when you hear it, you hear the voice of a reporter, but he's saying something completely silly. (laughs) And, you know. You're used to hearing serious, important news from a voice like this. That's right. And juxtapose that with just completely silly lines. And I think there was some magic that was created there. And I think that's the magic around the whole idea of Heard Happily, because it it impacted people in a different way. It was a fun way, but it was a different way. You know, it was, you know, okay, uh, you you grow up with this sound, you know, reporting live from downtown Los Angeles. I'm Jay Jackson, CBS 2 News. You hear that sound, you think serious issues are going on. But then you hear something like, we'll begin this story by starting it. And so the magic there is that, oh, it's different. So, you know, there's a lot in there to be studied, really. That's right. Well, you do have a great voice. I mean, I think, uh, have you ever considered doing a podcast? I know you've done the television thing for a long time. Right, sure. No, you know, I am so lazy, man. I I just don't (laughs) work, you know. Well, it mean, is I, work. I don't work. Yeah. And, and with Cameo, I don't know if you're familiar uh, with yeah. Cameo, but yeah, yeah Cameo, man, you just, you know, you, that's the work I do now is Cameo. Yeah. And I love it. You know, I don't, I don't even really go on auditions anymore. I, you know, if I get called for a gig, that's great. Of course, yeah. if Parks calls, you know, I'm going to do Parks and Recreation. Sure. Yeah. But, uh, but 
you know, doing a podcast. That's why I salute you guys. You know, a lot of work goes into putting these things on. You have to dedicate the time. You have to come up with the questions and you have to be committed to it because once you start developing your fan base, you know, that's a hungry machine, a hungry beast that needs to be fed. <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't want to be beholden to that. And I'll do my little, you know, uh, uh, Wine News Weekly videos because I do it right here in my, you know, in my house. I got a yeah. green screen set up, sure. yeah. you know, put it together. I do it whenever I want, you know, so. They look good. Yeah. They look very professional. Thank you very much. I think the only other question we had on our on our list was about your reporting background. You, you did that for, what, 20-something years before you started into TV? Yeah, 22 years. I started as a, a, a newspaper reporter in San Diego, a little newspaper called The Voice. Well, in college, actually, my first reporting oh, job was for okay. the college newspaper. And then um, I went to, I started a little newspaper in San Diego, and then I started at uh, the ABC station in San Diego, because it's very rare to start in such a large market in TV yeah. news. And the way the TV news business works is you have to start in some small podunk town, mm-hmm. you know, kind of work your way from city to city, town to town, and hopefully end up in a LA, New York, Chicago, Major. large market where you're making a lot of money and, you know, you, you can do other things. Um, but fortunately I started in San Diego, which shortly after I got off the Navy, in fact, um, and, uh, and then eventually moved up to Los Angeles and what happened was to go back, circle around to the first question is how to become, you know, purred. Well, actually, this is how I get into the acting business. After reporting for a few years, I started a school called the Los Angeles Reporters Clinic, where, you know, I would help people break into the news business. And we have very successful graduates, Pamela mm-hmm. Brown, doing great at CNN, um, um, Carrie Champion, she's doing great at uh, ESPN. And then this, we have over 250 uh, reporters working out there in the world. Wow. And what happened was I created a demo tape for one of my students where I appear on the demo and her manager saw me and asked me if I'd be interested in doing some auditions. And wow. uh, I said, sure. And the first audition I went out was a show called Dexter. And mm-hmm. I got the gig yep. and, you know, it, 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 the rest is history. So, wow. That's Hollywood, you know, that is yep. Hollywood. <laughs> you just don't know. <laughs> Now, would you say that you prefer playing uh, newscasters because it's something you're familiar with? Or do you ever want to stretch your wings into other types of roles? Or what's your take? No, I just want to do newscaster stuff. And, you know, cause, uh, listen, I'm, I'm not trying to be an actor. I'm not trying to study lines every night. You know, that's homework. Uh, I, I'm just not going that way. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was done with yep. homework in college. Well, actually, I'm now doing a lot of homework because I'm in the uh, Napa Valley Wine Academy. But that's just a, right. a passion. Sure. You know what I mean? yeah. Yeah. But but as far as acting and doing other things, who knows what may happen? Some producer may say, OK, what you do is what I want and you don't really even have to act. And that may happen in Hollywood, you know, but just take, say, you know, say these lines now and that could go and, you know, it could turn into something. Who knows? But I'm not trying to be a big star like, you know, Michael B. Jordan or a Tom Cruise or anything like that. I have no interest in that at all, you know. I'm done, man. I, I'm, you know, I've been 20, 22 years as a reporter. You know, I've had a great career. Sure. And the rest is the rest is gravy. And I'm not trying to turn it into steak and gravy. It's just going to be gravy. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, if you I like get it. to play a political analyst for, you know, a few days on a set and get to meet a Michael B. Jordan, that's pretty cool, too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, the, the different uh, people you meet. But it's here's what's funny. You can meet big stars on set. And I have because Meryl's on Supergirl, too. And, you know, big Mm -hmm. stars will come on the set and say, oh, my God, my kid loves you on Parks and Rec. And they're like the one. Can I get a a selfie with you? You know what I mean? Starstruck. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah, Right. 
<laughs> and you come on set, and it's so funny, you know, because her, the Perg Happily character um, was really kind of a joke. You know, it, was, it wasn't, you know, really to be part of the show. It wasn't even part of the theme of the show. But uh, I think just all the stars lined up, again, with the voice, with the look, the way I went over the top with it, yeah, and then yeah. just a great opportunity for these great writers to write new things, you know what I mean? Because a lot of sitcom dialogue is the same, but when you can write in circles like the way they were doing with a lot of the Perth Happily dialogue, <laughs> you know, it became a new kind of thing. And now it's part of, you know, the uh, lexicon and vernacular of, of America. Because yeah. you will hear people say, ah, he just did a Perth Happily. Yes. You know, there's a whole name to it. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny, you know what I mean? Because I'm like, it's not like an out-of-body out, out of body experience for me because I can see it happening, laughing at it. I'm like, well, wait, that's me. That's me. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's the funny thing. <laughs> Mark had a purred happily a few episodes ago and I called it out on the air. <laughs> we had a little fun with that. So I owned it. That's the funny thing about it, you know? <laughs> and it's even in the Urban Dictionary, so I'm proud, man. Oh, that's terrific. Yeah, that's I'm awesome. Done, I, you know, I live on forever. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Jay, what's your YouTube channel where people can find you again? Okay, the YouTube channel is called Wine News Weekly. And all you have to do is just type that into YouTube or Wine News Weekly, Jay Jackson. And uh, if you're into wine and, you know, it's, it's more of a headline service for what's going on in the wine world. I'm not getting into the details and the minutia of wine or anything like that or what's the top rated wine or who's the new big winner. It's just news surrounding the wine world. And um, it's just another avenue for people to educate themselves in the wine world, um, you know, versus the wine snob stuff. So, you know, right. Wine News Weekly, we try to do it twice a week and uh, we really hope people enjoy it. I think that we get some good reactions so far. That's great. And That's then they great. can find you on Cameo as well, right? Yeah, you can find me on Cameo. Yes, definitely go to Cameo, <laughs> you know, because, you know, it's always these great shout outs. And the beautiful thing about Cameo, okay, let me just tell you real quick. I know you guys got to go. Cameo first started for me and you know it was like oh this is easy money great doing it no problem but the real beauty of cameo is when you have people reach out to you and say pardon them i get choked up my son is in the hospital and he would love if you say happy birthday to him that's where cameo is special you know you learn that your fans have a real connection to you and you can really help them so you know that's why that's I say awesome, man. not to make me rich or anything like that, but just this. And this has happened numerous times. You know what I mean? It, so it touches you. That's great. Sorry, guys. I'm a wimp. I'm a wimp. No, no. That's no, not no. drinking yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's beautiful, man. I love to hear yeah, that. They, yeah, yeah. It really is, man. It happens. And it's just, you know, I, if you talk to some of the uh, big stars who are doing cameo, I, I, I think, you know, nine out of ten, nine out of ten of them will tell you that story. And, you know, the future of Cameo for that reason is huge because, you know, it's more than just starstruck or talking to a celebrity or something like that. It really affects lives. It's making connections. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Deep, deep connections. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I mean, these characters that you you've had this opportunity to play, I mean, like Perd, I mean, they just, you know, people really, you know, connect with them and they, 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 they're kind of a part of their life. I know my daughter, you know, she's a 15 year old and she's watching Parks and Rec now, you know, it's having this whole second life and, uh, you know, all these new people are really coming to get to know and love the show. So that's terrific. Yeah. Absolutely. Connect to them. Yeah. Right. It it really is. And and it's worldwide, you know, because on, 
cameo, I get I get requests from 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 Scotland and from Australia and from Bangladesh. And because wow. remember, Park, Parks and Rec was also one of the shows on American Airlines. So uh, when you were oh, flying hmm. that show, people would watch that show from all over the world um, wow. because it was just one of the shows huh. that was in rotation on all of the airplanes. Yeah. So it's very it's, it's it's interesting how these things work. I mean, you just don't even see it in the beginning. You don't even you don't even begin to think that it would end up like this. So here we right. are. Jay, thanks so much for talking to us today. Really appreciate it. It was terrific uh, getting to know a little bit about you and hearing about PURD as PURD. <laughs> yeah. So. Thank you, guys. This is awesome. Congratulations again on the success of the podcast and keep doing what you're doing. We will. Thank, Thank you, you, Jay. So we much. appreciate it. All right. You guys take care. You heard? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, Jay. Have a great right, day. Bye, Bye. Bye. Mark, I feel like we've been a little bit blessed here with some of our guests we've had on the show and the interviews we've been able to do. We heard from Joan Calamezzo, a.k.a. Mo Collins, or reverse that, right. in part one of this of our coverage of Harvest Festival. And of course, there's Perd Happily, Jay Jackson. Right. Um, man, we just had great, really funny, gracious people on the show, and I, I feel blessed. Oh, I, I totally agree. You know, we've had a, a plethora and I don't get to use that word no, often. No. We, we've had a plethora of, of very nice, generous people who have been willing to interview with us that have no reason to want to talk to a couple of podunks like us. But they did. And, and they, you know, they, they spent their time uh, very graciously and we appreciate it. Uh, it. They were fantastic. I think especially the two of them and not to say others didn't. But, you know, these two are super aware that they've got these iconic characters out there that still have fame today that are, you know, love to watch them. And so I, I that you're right. They didn't do it for us. They did it for their fans. And that's exactly who they should be doing it. For. That's right. Well yep. said. Yep. Well, Mark, that I think that about does it for us this week. Um, we're going to be back and I'll say in the next couple of weeks, uh, we're going to be visiting episode 3.8 camping. Uh, or as friends would have called it, Mark, the one where Leslie tries to top her best project ever. <laughs> I like that. I do. And then as promised, we're also going to play the rest of our interview with Mo Collins uh, in a spotlight episode. Yay. That's awesome. Yeah. So look forward to both those episodes. I look forward to being back with you, Mark, and with you, our listeners, uh, in the next couple of weeks. All right. Me too. Thanks, everybody. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Live from Pawnee is a copyrighted production of the creators. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Original music was created and performed by Aaron Emerson of Emerson Studios. Clips are used under fair use doctrine for the purpose of commentary and parody. Please see our website at livefrompawnee.com for more details or to contact us. Doobie. 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 <laughs> <laughs>